My name is Keith Beavers, and I don't know if you cat lovers out there knew this, but every time a cat stretches, you have to say good stretch. If you don't, you could go to jail. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair, and hello. We're wrapping up Bordeaux. By the end of this series, you will have so much information on Bordeaux, you won't even know what to do with yourself. You don't even need to buy books. Just listen to Wine 101. Let's get into the last part. We have a little bit of history under our belt, don't we? It's a lot of history, actually. We know now about how the right bank, the Liborne of Bordeaux, came to prominence? Well, came to prominence in its own right, even though to this day there is a slight rivalry between the banks. And this is what's very interesting about Bordeaux, isn't it? Bordeaux's huge. And these are all sub-appellations, but they're all kind of individual in their own right. It's even in, well, especially in the right bank, considering the topography, the soil compositions, stuff like that, which we're going to get into in a second here, because I want to explain to you guys what's up with the right bank. What kind of wines are we going to experience? So here's what it looks like. The town of Liborne, we're going to concentrate on that for a second because the Places we're talking about are considered the Liborne, as we mentioned in the last episode. So the large port town of Liborne, and around that, and when you look at a map of Liborne, and then you look at the the places we're going to talk about, you can see how close they are to that city and why they would be considered part of the Liborne. If you look at the city of Liborne on a map, just west of that town is a place called Fronsac, a very famous, old famous place in Bordeaux that we're going to have to talk about. Just east and a little bit south of Liborne is the ancient medieval town of Saint-Emilion, and then its surrounding satellite regions. Northeast of Liborne is Pomerol, and north of Pomerol, which is actually directly north of Liborne, is Le Lande de Pomerol. Now, Le Lande de Pomerol is not necessarily considered part of the Liborne, but it, it, I, we have something to say about it. There's something, to, there's something to be said about Le Lande de Pomerol, and it's fun. And this is a lot of land we're talking about. And by the way, just to kind of reiterate this, this is Merlot country. This is the Merlot of Bordeaux and also Cab Franc. You're not going to see hardly any Cabernet Sauvignon around here. It's around in little places. In some places like Le Lande de Pomerol, it's about one-fifth of the blend sometimes. But this is where Merlot shines. And when we talk about the soil, you'll kind of get a sense of that. Because all over this place, all around Saint-Emilion and Pomerol and Le Lande de Pomerol, we're talking mainly about gravel, sand, and clay with some limestone happening mostly in the Saint-Emilion area. So the thing about this area, too, is because of the diversity of soils, 
And because of the elevation variation, ooh, I like that, elevation variation. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Because of that stuff, the wines are different wherever you go, but it's always going to be Merlot and Cab Franc. In general, the right bank is going to be more supple, more fruit forward, more fleshy than the left bank. But because, well, based on what we talked about last episode, there are wines here that can last for a very, very long time and that have alcohol upwards of like 14%. But no matter what, the structures you're going to experience here are not like the structures you're going to experience in the Medoc. I must confess, I love the right bank. What Merlot and Cab Franc do, I don't know. It's just something about it. It's just so, uh, I don't even know. All right, let's just get into this. Now, this diversity in uh, soil and diversity in style, I mean, diversity within a style, is very present in Saint-Emilion. It is said that variation is the hallmark of Saint-Emilion. And here you'll find light, fruity, very easy drinking wines, almost like clarets, if you will, to extremely high-end, very fine, structured, age-worthy premier crew within their classification system that can age forever like I was talking about because the soils go well the way it works is you have this this town that's on a big hill and you have the hillsides of the town which you have you know hillside vineyards which we all know hillside vineyards drain very well and all that but then you have clay and you have rich calcareous soils that have been forever and ever washed from the rivers onto the hinterlands of this plateauish area which has a limestone base and depending where you are in this area in Saint-Emilion and its satellite regions it it changes now a lot of the Appalachian is on a I guess you can call it a, a plain and that's between the town, the plateauish area, and the river. But if you look at a map of, if you look at a topography map of Saint-Emilion and its surrounding areas, you will see that Saint-Emilion and all of its satellite regions are in the highest elevations of this little area. Literally, if you draw a circle, then draw a point in the middle of the circle, and then from that point, draw a backwards C, <laughs> the circle is Saint-Emilion, and the backward C represents all the highest areas running kind of a continuous kind of U-turn through the area up to Saint-Emilion. That may be confusing, but if you do it, let me know. And that's what's really fun about Saint-Emilion is to try wines from just around the, you know, the older area, but then go around to the actual satellite regions, which are very individual, small holdings, but pretty affordable stuff. I mean, this is Bordeaux. It can be a little expensive, but these wines are affordable and they're just, it's kind of fun to explore the different satellite regions. Again, season one, my Bordeaux episode, I go through all of those regions and what the names are. And with variation being the hallmark of this area, it makes sense that there's a classification system that is actually revisited every 10 years, as opposed to the 1855 classification, which is basically used as more promotional material now and hasn't had a change since the 1970s. 
And everything centers around Saint Emilion. When they have that, the guard of Saint Emilion, when they when they announce the harvest, the celebration is all in Saint Emilion. Now I say that because in Pomerol, which is two thousand acres under vine, there is no town center. All the only thing in Pomerol that you can kind of center is there's a big church, but and it's not a high elevation area. If Bordeaux already is not high elevation, and Saint Emilion has the highest elevation on the right bank, sort of. Pomerol is lower than that. It is kind of the hill. It's kind. Of, there aren't really hills. They're kind of. They're kind of hills, but they're almost like undulating low hills. But that's basically. It's mostly kind of flat land, and the diversity of soil here is. <laughs> it's nuts. Here you have gravel, you have clay. You have clay with gravel, you have sandy gravel, and you have gravelly sand. Did you get all that? That's how diverse the soil compositions are of this area. And Pomerol does not have a classification system, but there are some things about Pomerol that are very, well, there's a lot that's special about Pomerol. Uh, Le Pan is here, Cheval Blanc is here, Petrus is here. These are chateau that can fetch prices higher than first growths of Medoc, but also affordable, somewhat affordable red wines are here. And the, the generalized descriptions that people use for Pomerol are fleshy and flattering, meaning that Merlot is king here, obviously. And because of these soil compositions, you get these beautiful sort of gentle, rich, some people say instantly appealing wines from all of Bordeaux. This is, this is some of the most uh, inviting wines of Bordeaux. And the key to the, the, the success of Pomerol is one vine age where they like to make wine from vines that are a little bit older. For example, Petrus, I believe, does not use vines younger than 10 or 12 years old, either one doesn't matter. That means that they are making sure the vines that they harvest from are a little bit more mature. The other thing that Pomerol does to its success is low yield. And this is why it can't be very inexpensive all the time in Pomerol, because the lower the yield, the more expensive the wine, but the more concentration you're going to get, the more of that signature, fleshy, plushy, sort of easy drinking, yet structured red wine, Merlot, Cab Franc, and actually, just to say this, because I said Cheval Blanc, Cheval Blanc is Saint-Emilion, also Pomerol. It's hard to explain because it's right on the border of Saint-Emilion and Pomerol. So, and just to put a cap on this, Pomerol has the lowest yields of Bordeaux. Kind of gives you a sense of their, what they're doing there. I want to mention Lalande de Pomerol just briefly because I think it's very cool. It is... Just well, it's actually immediately north of Pomerol. It's also immediately north of Libourne, and it's centered around two towns: Le Land de Pomerol, the town, and a, t and a town called Nayac on the river Barban. Barbane. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. B a r b a n n e. And here we have 2,700 acres under vine, and the soils are clay, sand, and gravel. <laughs> you know, just kind of this mix keeps happening with the gravel being closer to the Pomerol area. When I was bopping around the right bank, tasting all these wines, it was very varied, as I've been saying. And when I got to the Lande de Pomerol, man, 
the wine's got a little more rustic, but it's really kind of cool. And the reason why I like Lalonde de Pomerol is kind of gives you that vibe of what Bordeaux was in the past while still being good, rustic, plushy, fruit forward wine. And it's kind of cool because there are winemakers or, you know, chateau owners and winemakers in Saint-Emilion and Pomerol who are actually playing around here because the, the, the land is not as expensive as it is in Pomerol and Saint-Emilion. So they're over here planting vines and harvesting, trying to see what they're going to do in Lalande de Pomerol. It'd be kind of interesting in like 10, 15 years, Lalande de Pomerol begins this Pomerol vibe. <laughs> is that confusing? So we have the, the, the variations of Saint-Emilion and its satellite regions. We have Pomerol with even more variation with fleshy, fruity, inviting wines that sometimes can fetch prices that are extremely high to Le Lande de Pomerol, which gives you that nice, rustic, sort of more affordable, old-school-style Bordeaux. Then we have to go west of Libourne to Fronsac. Fronsac is so cool. There are such great wines coming from Fronsac, and you can find them on the American market. And this is the ancient old city of Fronsac where Charlemagne had some digs. It was once a Roman temple, and then Charlemagne's like, I'm going to build a thing on top of this, like a fortress and stuff. And then after that was over in the mid-19th century, this rich person basically turned it all into a big villa, like Saltburn style, and started having parties and entertaining stuff there and kind of giving more exposure to this area, kind of giving its popularity based on that. Not necessarily that, but that didn't hurt. And like Saint-Emilion, but in a completely different area, this is, in a, this is a place with vines are on higher elevations, um, filled with limestone and sandstone. And again, this is all Merlot and Cab. These wines are structured. They can have the structure of the more structured Saint-Emilion wines. And in the 60s and the 70s, these wines were kind of on that Lalande de Pomerol style where they were a little more rustic and a little more kind of hard edged. But in the eighties and the nineties, they started refining the way they did it. And the wines here, they're kind of beautiful and dark and rich, but soft and plush with great acidity. Now, Fronsac has a little bit less than 2000 acres under vine, actually around 1800 or so. And there's a small little sub-appellation there called Canon Fronsac, C-A-N-O-N dash Fronsac. And that's only 250 Acres, and that's where the more kind of like lower yield stuff comes from. <sighs> there you go. Wine lovers, that is Bordeaux. The right bank, the left bank, the history, the styles, the soil. What else do you need? Oh, yeah, to go enjoy it. Now, these wines are expensive, but not all of them are. It's really fun to go and find wines from Bordeaux and try them within whatever price point you're looking for. You can start to the low price points and go to like, you know, just the regular AOC of Bordeaux and work your way up. The thing about Bordeaux wine lovers is it really is important that you trust the person you're buying the wine from. Wine shops that stock Bordeaux, mostly smaller wine shops, you know, not boutique, but like, you know, smaller wine shops, neighborhood wine shops. They're tasting these wines deciding what to put on their shelves and they're excited about it. If you're buying, if you're a wine buyer and you're buying Bordeaux, especially in retail, you're 
you're having fun, number one, because it's a lot of fun tasting through Bordeaux, but you're really thinking about what you really want to sell to the people. So definitely trust your wine merchant when you're buying Bordeaux retail. I'm only talking about retail because Bordeaux on wine lists, I mean, the markup can be astronomical. And I don't know if you guys are into it, go for it. Because the thing is, if you're buying, if Bordeaux is being purchased at, in, a, in a hospitality environment, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed the wines are going to be excellent. I mean, they're going to be upwards of hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but they're going to be delicious. So on the retail side, to really kind of explore these wines, that's kind of the way to do it. And Saint-Emilion and the right bank is not as always as expensive as the left bank, but the left bank is not always expensive as the right bank. You have the Cru Bourgeois on the left bank that kind of come in at 30 or 40 bucks, and then you have all the expensive stuff. And the right bank, you have Saint-Emilion and all of its satellite regions with kind of as a varying price points. Pomerol is crazy. I mean, you can go very high or very low. And then you have the Lande de Pomerol, which is kind of a week, eh, you know, not a weekday wine, but it's just a more chill kind of, hey, let's have some Bordeaux wine. And then Fronsac is this fun little spot that does more structured sort of, not intense, but just you can see them. They're a, little, they're a little darker. But all these wines can age for a very long time. And this is one of the things, this is where vintage variation is pretty key. And you can find all over the internet what vintages of what place in Bordeaux you're, you're wanting to purchase. You can always find a vintage chart for what works. Now, the thing is, there is no such thing as a bad vintage. There are difficult vintages. I had a, my wine mentor always told me there are no such thing as bad vintages. They're only bad winemakers. <laughs> it's pretty tough, but it's true. So good wine and good vintages, but also just good chateaus, even outside of the best vintages, your wine merchant will kind of guide you through that. So this is Bordeaux. Wine lovers, next week, we're heading north. How did champagne become the champagne we know today? The story is awesome. Let's start next week. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week.